Good morning, everybody. My name is Aaron, and this is Malachi. Say hi. Hi. There we go. So I'm going to do the reading this morning, and we'll do the prayer, and then we'll get started. It's a reading from uh, Psalm 42. So if you guys got your Bibles, or it's up there, you guys can read along. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. All right. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I will go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, and from Mount Mizor, deep calls to deep. At the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is within me. A prayer to God, the God of my life. Excuse me. Yeah. Almost done. <laughs> Got my hype, man. <laughs> I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do, why do I go mourning? Because of the oppression of my enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall, praise, shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, just thank you for this day. Thank you for Pastor Matt. Thank you for Pastor Brock uh, joining our church and becoming a leader. Thank you for this word and his preparation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. Amen. Malachi did such a great job, didn't he? Aaron, you did all right too, brother. We are continuing uh, our series in the book of Psalms. And so we're in Psalm 42 today. And when I was preparing, I was thinking that when I was in my early 20s, I had all the answers. I mean, I knew everything. It's amazing how young men and women know everything. It's miraculous. But then hard suffering comes into your life with life experience and it has a way of contradicting you. It has a way of showing you that you didn't even know what you didn't know. And it's a rude awakening. It messes with your heart because you realize that you can't handle the hardships of life the way that you had imagined. And then fear and bitterness and desperation and hopelessness creep into our hearts and enslave us. And we realize we're not as smart or as wise or as awesome as we thought we were. Some call this cognitive dissonance, 
when confronted with facts that contradict your current beliefs and opinions and ideals and values, and, and you try to find a way to resolve the contradiction to reduce your discomfort. And if you can't resolve it, you either fall into despair or you just disconnect from reality and do your best to ignore it. So it's helpful. It's helpful for someone with experience and wisdom to walk with you through the maze that can be your heart. And as you walk with them, you're not just discovering issues that you weren't even aware of, but you're processing them together in healthy ways. The book of Psalms is like that. John Calvin called the Psalms an anatomy of all parts of the soul. Every possible condition that you can experience in life, grief and sorrow and pain and fear and doubts and hopes and dreams, they're all represented and processed in the Psalms in light of the reality of who God is and our relationship to him. The book of Psalms has the power to make sense of your broken, messed up life it takes you by the hand and walks you through it. And today we're looking at Psalm 42. And Psalm 42 guides us through what the Welsh minister and medical doctor Martin Lloyd-Jones calls spiritual depression. Spiritual depression. Everyone experiences spiritual depression whether you recognize it or not. When you hit a wall spiritually, you tried everything. You can't get past it. And so you find yourself at a crossroads of despair and denial. And it seems like despair and denial are your only options. This is spiritual depression. And this psalm guides you through three aspects of it. What it looks like, how to get through it, and how to endure. First, what spiritual depression looks like. We get a picture of it in the first verse that says, as a deer pants for water, flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. Now I think it's easy for us to read that, maybe because we heard it so many times or there's this disconnect between cultures or whatever, but it's easy for us to uh, miss the, the desperation and, and, and the agony that's being pictured right here. It's, it's not talking about a deer that's a little parched. The deer is not saying, I could use a cup of water right now or a juice box or something. That would be refreshing. That's not what's going on right here. The psalmist is talking about a deer that's been looking for water during a long period of drought. After stumbling from one dried up river to another, it is now dying of thirst. That's what the psalmist is picturing for us here. The psalmist is saying, this is a matter of life and death. He's desperately crying out to God. Verse three, he says, my tears have been my food day and night. In other words, every time I come to you, God, day or night, I am desperate for your refreshing presence. But all I have is the Bitterness of my own tears, and I'm left with nothing. This, what he's expressing right here, 
is oppressive absence. Like when you walk into the bedroom of someone you love who had died. It's an oppressive absence. This is a desperate longing for God who seems nowhere to be found. His soul is dying to experience the reality of the living God, to feel close to him. And he compares his spiritual depression to dying of thirst as a matter of life and death. C.S. Lewis said, If you're cold, you need to stand close to the fire. If you're thirsty, you need to be close to the fountain. If you want joy, peace, eternal life, you must get close to what or who has them. See, to be far from God is to be far from all that your soul really needs. It's to be far from everything that your soul is craving for. If you believe... If you believe that God is the source of all that is good, and if your desire was consistent with what you say you believe about God, then to have a sense of God's closeness would be to have all that is good. Okay. I've got a food illustration. Food illustrations are my favorite. First part of my life, The only burritos I ever knew were made with hamburger meat. That's all I knew. But then one day, the clouds parted, and a bright light broke through, and the angels were singing, and heaven brought into my life a carne asada burrito. (laughs) And it changed my life forever. I like that the one amen I get so far is about a carne asada burrito. But then I still find myself, for some reason, at Taco Bell. Why? C.S. Lewis famously said, our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. When it comes to experiencing God, We're okay with mud pies and Taco Bell. Spiritually speaking, it's, you know, just give me an inspirational sermon every now and then. Or give me an insightful Bible study or or, or my favorite style of, of, of worship music. Now listen, those can and are unimportant to a degree. But if that is the extent of our desire for God, it does not match what we claim we believe about God. Do you understand what I'm saying here? If the Bible is true... If God is the source of everything that is good, then to be near him is to have everything you could ever need. So to fall into spiritual depression, even though you had a God experience at one point, is to lack the sense of a personal God. Even though you feel like you tried your best, 
it seems like God abandoned you. Maybe he doesn't exist at all. And that'll flip your world upside down right there. At best, you're left with God as a concept, a theory. And you're lost. You're confused. Desperate. That's what spiritual depression looks like. Everybody goes through it. The question is how? How are you supposed to get through that? That's our second point. You need to do two things. One, you need to examine the condition of your own soul. And two, you need to preach the truth of God to your own soul. So what's it mean to examine the condition of your soul? Well, in verse 4, the psalmist says, I pour out my soul. And the word soul right here refers to your entire being. He's saying, I am digging deep into my heart, bringing all that I am up and out and laying it all bare. And in the midst of his depression, he's taking the time and effort to examine his soul thoughtfully. We too easily ignore the state of our soul, let alone be thoughtful about it. And to be honest, a lot of churches, they quash that. They don't want to hear about your doubts. If you have doubts, man, you're suspect. The Psalms encourages us to express our doubts and wrestle with them. It's one of the ways your faith gets stronger and goes deeper. Now, many of us try to fix the problem, our spiritual depression, whatever, with Band-Aids as fast as we can. You know, we, we stuff it down and we push through. But the author here is willing to sit with it for a bit. He's willing to sit with his despair. He's willing to sit with his weariness. He's willing to sit with the weight of it, to listen, to understand, and to be open and honest about his suffering. And as Christians, it's so, it's so common for us to feel uh, pressure to pretend how great life is because we have God. That's a false Christianity. And we can't be calling people to that. It doesn't reflect the reality of our experience. You know, it, it doesn't reflect the reality of the Psalms. 40% of the Psalms, 40% of them are laments. How did the church miss that? God, I'm going through hell, the psalmist says. My enemies have surrounded me. My life is ruined. Will you ever deliver me? That's in the Bible. The psalms are honest about the human experience. And unless you listen to your soul in the midst of suffering... You will never understand yourself, and you won't be able to walk through life with others who are suffering. You'll just insist, the people that you know who are suffering, you'll just insist that they just fix it, just do it, just stop it. And sprinkle in a few Bible verses for good measure. Do this, do that, and abracadabra, you'll be fine. That is the last thing that you want to hear because it's worthless. For others, maybe of stuffing it and, and pushing through, we're tempted to wallow in our suffering and feel sorry for ourselves. 
Or you swing back and forth between the two extremes from pushing and stuffing to wallowing and complaining. How in the world are you going to walk with others in their suffering if you can't process your own? This psalm shows us to take the time to pour out your soul and examine it honestly and thoughtfully. And I want you to know that I encourage you to do that. I encourage you to do that. (laughs) We're not interested in being a bunch of posers and pretending everything's perfect because we have God. We won't grow that way. We need to be a community of grace. Second, once you examine your soul, you need to preach the truth of God to your soul, especially in the midst of your suffering. In the 5th and 11th verses, we see the refrain or the chorus that says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. In the midst of turmoil, he preaches to his soul. I referred to Martin Lloyd-Jones at the beginning, and he writes this about this particular psalm. He says, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they are talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday, etc. Somebody is talking. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Now this psalmist treatment in Psalm 42 was this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, He starts talking to himself. Why art thou cast down, O my soul, he asks. His soul had been depressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and he says, self, listen for a moment and I will speak to you. Lloyd-Jones says to preach to your soul like this psalmist. Preach to your soul hope in God. How do we do that? Do we just say hope in God, hope in God, hope in God, hope in God over and over and over again like a mantra? That's not going to cut it. We need a basis for our hope. And we see this in the psalm. Mixed between the laments in this one psalm are reminders of God's goodness. And it's so good for us to see that because we forget God's goodness to us. Verse 4, these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. He is remembering, worshiping God with God's people and the glad shouts of joy that surrounded him in the house of the Lord. And in verse 6, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon and from Mount Mizar. He's referring to places in history where God's people experienced his grace and his deliverance and his presence. He's reminding himself. In verse 8, by day the Lord commands his steadfast love and at night his song is with me. 
a prayer to the God of my life. Do you remember just a few verses up what he was saying? My tears have been my food day and night. And now here in verse 8, he's reminding himself, you know what? Even when I am in tears day and night, God's loving presence is still with me even if I'm not feeling it at the time. My feelings don't determine the reality of God and his presence. See what he's doing? He's being thoughtful. He's not being a poser. He's not faking it. He's not stuffing and pushing forward or wallowing. He's focusing and remembering the evidence of God's grace in his life. And then he says, that is why I can hope in God. God has been good to me in the past, and he's consistent. There's good reason for me to believe that he'll be good to me once again. And that's why you can hope in God, too, and say with the psalmist, I shall again praise him. The psalmist is honest. <laughs> he is, he's realistic. It, this is like him saying, you know what? I, I may not feel like praising God right now. I know that, but I also know that eventually I will. He's preaching to himself by reminding himself of God's grace. And we need the same thing to remind ourselves about the truth of God that, that, that we've seen, that, that we've experienced in the past, especially in the midst of turmoil. Examine the condition of your soul and then preach the truth of God to your soul. You're not going to drift into the internalization of truth. If you drift, it's going to be away from truth. That's how this works. I don't know about you, but all this sounds really exhausting to me. In fact, I'm exhausted just talking about it right now. Whew. If you tend to stuff it and push through, sitting with your turmoil and evaluating your soul sounds exhausting. If you wallow, preaching the truth of God to your soul sounds exhausting. So where do we get the strength to endure? That's the third point. When we're faced with turmoil, we need two things. We need to know that we're not alone in our suffering. And we need to know deep down in our soul that things are going to be okay. Now, most of you know, it's come up in all kinds of conversations and sermons. Many of you know about the many hardships that have come, to my, uh, come with my wife's various health problems. The life she had and the lives, everyone in her family, the lives that we imagined the, the, after the health problems all started, all that, it just shattered, right? And it, these lives were replaced with a life that, that we didn't sign up for. But then so many people just blessed us and loved us and came alongside us and supported us and empathized with us, and we knew we were not alone in it all. And we've been so grateful for everyone. And those who had been through suffering themselves were willing to remember their own suffering, draw on it, and empathize. It cost them something to empathize with us and to let us know that we weren't alone and that they've been there too. 
And not just that, when we see their, their compassion and their joy, it offers us real hope that we're going to make it. You know, when people who have suffered tell you that you're going to make it, you can't dismiss their words as being trite. Their suffering gives weight to their words. Their words have been lived out and soaked in tears. And their tears have given them a powerful ministry to others who have suffered. And their ministry points to the truth and the life and the presence of God in Jesus. So when you're spiritually depressed, when you're suffering, when you're in turmoil, when your soul thirsts for a God that seems distant, preach to yourself. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So remember, remember that Jesus is the very presence of God with you. Remember that Jesus is your salvation and your God. Remember Jesus on the cross saying, I thirst. And when it feels as though the whole world is mocking you and taunting you and questioning, where is your God? Remember Jesus, whose enemies taunted and mocked him. Let's see if God will come down and save him. And if your heart is crying out to God, why have you forgotten me? Remember Jesus who cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As you remember Jesus as you remember his grace, as you look to him and listen to him, you will find a companion for your journey who is also a companion who suffered to save you because he loves you. He absorbed the wrath and rejection of God that we deserved so that we wouldn't have to. Jesus secured God's, the Father's unconditional commitment to love you. And it's all grace. And you don't have to jump through a bunch of religious hoops to, to earn his good, a good standing with God. And you can't cont continue your good standing with God by jumping through a bunch of religious hoops. It's all of God's grace. That's where your hope is. The hope of the gospel is the strength that you need to endure. That is the hope that you need to preach to your own soul because you forget. And we let our wandering thoughts distract us and pull us away. That is the hope that leads you again to praise him for his glorious grace. Amen? Amen. Would you bow your heads with me?